Welcome to Chi Alpha at the University of Virginia. This podcast is a collection of messages designed to help you grow in our three anchors of real devotional life, real community, and real responsibility. We hope that you enjoy this message and that it encourages you in your spiritual growth. Um, it is good to be here tonight. Before we start, can we just pray one more time? Would that be okay? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we love you. Uh, we love you and we're grateful for the fact that you are seated on a throne. Uh, you are seated on a throne, Lord. And so we come before you tonight in confidence and in humility, uh, knowing that you speak to us. And we pray that, Lord, tonight your spirit would illumine your word, that you would speak to us tonight about your heart and the story that you're telling in the world. Uh, we love you, Jesus. Come, come and be with us tonight, Lord. Amen. Um, it is good to be here tonight with you all, albeit virtually for many of you, and here at the Hub with some of you. Um, I wish we could be together in person in person, but this is good for the time being. Uh, like Matt mentioned, my name is Andrew Foster. Um, my wife Jess and I have been serving for the past three years as missionaries to the country of Spain. Uh, and it is our heart to see thriving communities of faith planted among secular Spanish people. Uh, and we'll get more into that later, but we love serving in Spain. We love serving with Sean and Deb Gallion, who are team leaders there and great friends of this fellowship. Um, and it's just an honor to be here tonight. Jess and I met during my first year in 2010, which was her second year. Uh, we actually met in a van on the way to tutor with Abundant Life at Walker Upper Elementary School. So that's pretty cool. And if you want to meet your spouse, yes, this is the obligatory spouse joke that is required. Um, if you want to meet your spouse, do some volunteering. It worked for me 100% of the time. Give it a try. Uh, we got married in 2016. We moved to Granada in 2017. Uh, and we have been there ever since. And it is a joy for us to be here tonight. There is, for me, a certain sweetness in being here. Um, the truth of the matter is the Lord changed me through Chi Alpha at UVA. Uh, I arrived in Charlottesville in the fall of 2010. And if I'm being honest, I was ready to walk away from whatever Christianity had been cultivated in me in my, uh, my younger years. And I arrived to, to grounds insecure, um, burdened uh, by the slavery of my self-image. Um, and I was ready to do whatever it took, whatever the cost, for one, people to think well of me, and for two, to have a good time. <laughs> and I arrived to grounds ready to walk away. Uh, and I will never forget, uh, in August of 2010, the guys who came to my dorm and knocked on the door, and they invited me to pool basketball in the AFC, of all things. And I had no idea that night when I went to pool basketball in the AFC that the Lord was going to change my life. That night changed the trajectory of my life. And, you know, years later... When I got married, five of the guys in that pool were standing next to me. Um, and so to say that Chi Alpha has changed me uh, would be an understatement. I'm so grateful to be here. Um, my, during my first year on grounds, Jesus, uh, he got a hold of my heart and I fell in love with him. And the Holy Spirit, he convicted me of, of this story I was trying to write about my life. And, and he showed me um, his power and his goodness and his faithfulness and, and above all, his love and holiness. <laughs> I met Jesus during my time at UVA. And it's thanks in large part to Chi Alpha. And so although we are not together, although I do not know the vast majority of you, I love you. 
because we're part of this thing called Chi Alpha together. Uh, and that means something deeply to me. Um, as I said, my time in UVA, it was very formative. Uh, I feel like uh, every other day the Lord was teaching me something. I was, he was um, meeting me in some unexpected way. I remember uh, one night during the fall of my second year, I uh, was co-leading a first year core group with some guys. At the, at the time, it was meeting in a house called the Buck Lodge. This was Matt's core group, by the way. The Buck Lodge, which has existed in various iterations throughout uh, the years, but at this time it was on Shamrock Road. And I was just a second year guy, young Christian, didn't know very much about following Jesus. Um, but I, I was part of this core group. And one night after core group, we were walking down Shamrock back towards Stadium Road. And it was me and this one other guy in my core group, and he was limping. And we were talking, I said, you know, Dan, why are you limping? Is your leg okay? And he told me he'd been having back pain and, and, and it hurt him so much that he couldn't walk right. And so I didn't know much about following Jesus, but I knew that, you know, people pray for each other and said, well, Dan, do you mind if I pray for you right here? And we did. We stopped in the middle of Shamrock Road on a Tuesday night in the middle of the night. And I put my hand on Dan's shoulder and I said the most basic, not eloquent prayer you've ever prayed. Jesus, I thank you for my friend, Dan. I just ask that you take away the pain in his back. Amen. <laughs> and we kept on walking. And as we walked, I noticed that he wasn't limping anymore. And we got to the end of Stadion Road and he turned and he said to me, my back doesn't hurt anymore. And Jesus met me that night and he didn't, and he taught me that it didn't matter if I thought I didn't know much about following Jesus. His love for people was big enough that he would use someone like me, a 19-year-old kid who didn't know much, to bring about restoration and healing because that's the story he's telling in the world. I remember my fourth year, I had uh, convinced my parents to buy me a partial meal plan because I dreaded the day that I would have to cook. So I went to O'Hill one night for dinner because at the time it was the best dining hall. Not sure about that anymore, but... And I was at dinner, uh, and this girl from my Arabic class came up to me, and, and she was standing there at my table, and we were chatting a little bit. And uh, her name was Lily. She began, to, she began to share about how she'd been feeling in this season. She'd been feeling lonely and sad and in pain. And so I said, well, Lily, do you mind if I pray for you? And Lily was not a Christian, and we were in a dining hall, so this was a bit of a shock to her. But she said yes, and she sat down. And so, um, you know, a couple years had passed since I'd prayed for Dan, and so I learned more Christian words. Uh, so the prayer was a little longer, maybe not as, you know, still not eloquent, but definitely longer. And I prayed that Lily would know comfort. I prayed that uh, she, her body would be healed, that she would know the peace that comes from knowing that she is fully loved by a good God. In Jesus' name, amen. And I looked up and opened my eyes, and tears were coming down her face, and she said, thank you. No one's ever done that before. And Jesus met me that night and he taught me that he could touch someone's life in O'Hill. And it didn't matter the setting, that his love for people was big enough that he would use my dinner by myself in O'Hill to bring about restoration and healing and life because that's the story he's telling in the world. Jesus met me another day my third year. I had just gotten out of class down by Clemens and it was raining um, and it was lunchtime. So if you'll remember from my previous story, I didn't like to cook for myself. And so I said, well, I'll go to O'Hill. It's the best dining hall. And it was raining. So I decided to take the bus. So I catch the bus from around Clemens uh, to go to O'Hill for lunchtime. And it took about 15 seconds for me to realize on the bus that there was a guy who had crutches. 
And I felt the Holy Spirit say to me, I want you to pray for him. And my heart started beating faster. And I argued with the Holy Spirit. I said, Jesus, we're on a bus. I don't know that guy. That would be really weird. But the sense from the Spirit persisted. I want you to pray for him. The bus went past my stop at O'Hill and the guy didn't get off. So I didn't get off. And I just kept sitting there arguing with the Holy Spirit. I want you to pray for him. So the bus stopped around Gooch Dillard. The guy stood, put his crutches under him and walked off the bus. And so with my heart beating, my hands shaking, I took a deep breath, steeled my nerves and followed him off the bus. What is God doing in the world? <laughs> Have you ever asked yourself that question? What is, what is the story that God is telling in our world? What is the story he's telling of your life and my life? You all have been in a series this semester through the book of Revelation, and you've been taking a look at how John is, is pulling back the curtain on reality, and he's giving us a glimpse, revealing the true nature of what things are really like. And tonight, we're going to take a look at the last two chapters of the book of Revelation, Revelation 21 and 22. And what we're going to see is we're going to see how the story of the Bible ends. And in that, John is going to reveal to us the true nature of the story that God is telling in the world. He's going to show us the end of the story. And by the end of the story, I mean the end of the story that all of the cosmos, all of this world, and all of your life and my life are moving towards. And by seeing how the story ends, my hope is that we'll see more clearly what our role is in the story right now. So as we read our text for tonight, I want us to read it and be asking ourselves this question, what story is God telling in the world? So let us read together from Revelation 21 and 22. If you're in the live stream, I believe it'll be on the screen. Hopefully there as well. Um, let's go. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. <laughs> For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives its light and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On, on no day will its gates ever be shut for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. And then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. Amen. 
as you all have been studying the book of Revelation, like I said, you've been, you've been seeing how what John is doing is pulling the, the curtain back on reality and showing us what's really going on in the world. As Sean Gallion, my team leader in Spain, says, what the heaven is really going on. And here in Revelation 21 and 22, John reveals the end of the story. He writes that at the, at the end of all things, um, he, he's given this vision. Uh, he's shown a new heaven and a new earth. And, and out of heaven, he sees something descending into view. And it turns out that it is a city. And it says that the city is prepared like a bride for her groom. And it's this image of God, the groom, um, being reconciled, being made one with his people, the, the bride. And it's the fulfillment of a promise made in Ezekiel and Leviticus and Zechariah that one day God would be reconciled with, would, would be one with, with his people again. And, 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 and the brokenness and the sin caused in the world would be undone. And God would make all things new, including his relationship with the people of the world. So John writes that God dwells among his people and he wipes away every tear from their eye and there will be no more mourning or death we're crying because God has come to dwell with his people. And the question arises, well, who are his people? <laughs> and so John d- continues and he describes the city and he says that the nations walk in the city. People from the nations, people like the multitude that Rigo talked about in chapter 7 of Revelation from every tribe, every people, every tongue. Here they are. We see the nations walking in the light of the God who dwells with them. And John gives us this image of people from the nations walking down the middle of the city. In the middle of the city is the river of life. And on either side of the river is the tree of life. And there, God calls us back to Genesis 2. He says, the tree of life provides healing for the nations. He's giving us an image of Eden restored. God dwelling again with his people walking in the garden, in the tree of life. And John says that the leaves of the tree of life are for the healing of the nations. And John's saying, saying in, in the thing that God is doing in the world, he's, he's making a new order, a new heaven and a new earth. And in the middle of this new order, there's a city. And in the middle of this city, there's a river. And there at the river of life, the tree of life brings healing to the nations. The focal point, the middle of what God is doing in the world, the place that we are all moving towards is the nations finding healing in the presence of the God who dwells with them. That is the end of the story. It's what we're moving towards. Revelation 7 gives us an image of the multitude from every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every people worshiping the lamb at the throne who is worthy. Rico talked to us about that several weeks ago. Chapter 21 and 22 show us the nations finding healing in the presence of God. It's the end of the story. This might be an unpopular opinion, but um, I think The Great Gatsby is one of the worst books ever written. I'm sure someone somewhere is alarmed by the fact that I said that, Um, but I think it's true. And I'm not going to spoil anything if you haven't read it yet. Um, You don't need to, but I'm not going to spoil anything. Because you get to the end of the story, and I won't tell you what the end is, but for me, I was just like, what? Where did that come from? What is the point of the rest of the story? Because if this is how it ends, how utterly meaningless and depressing is the rest of the story because we all know that the end of the story helps us know what the whole story has been about the whole time. John writes that the end of the story that God is telling in the world is the nations finding healing. To be honest with you, (laughs) 
for a long time, I used to think that the Bible never really talked about God's heart for the nations until Matthew 28 and the Great Commission. And Jesus kind of, sort of as an afterthought before he ascends into heaven says, oh yeah, go and make disciples of all nations and just do that. That's what I used to think. But the reality is this. If, if Revelation is revealing to us that the end of the story is the healing of the nations, the amazing thing is that this is what the story's been about the whole time. Now, I want us to see that. And so I'm, I'm going to do something, which is just list a lot of scriptures kind of quickly. Um, and they'll be on the screen. And what I want us to do is I just want us to get a feeling of the weight, of the amount of scripture that is dedicated to and speaks to God's determination to bless and be worshipped by all the nations of the world. So I'm going to go fast. Um, I'm sorry. We've, we've talked about the end. Let's talk about the beginning. Genesis 1.28. God commands Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, which alludes to the fact that from the very beginning, Adam and Eve's role was to extend the blessing of Eden to the ends of the earth. Genesis 12, 1 through 3, the promise to Abraham, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Joshua 4, 23 to 24, the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. He did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful. 1 Kings 8, 41 to 43, Solomon prays at the dedication of the temple. As for the foreigner who does not belong to your people, Israel, but has come from a distant land because of your great name, do whatever the foreigner asks of you so that all the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you. Psalm 67, five through seven, may the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. May God bless us still so that all the ends of the earth will fear him. Psalm 96, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. Isaiah 49, six, the Lord says to Isaiah, it is too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Isaiah 56, 7, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. Daniel 7, 13 and 14, I looked and there before me was one like a son of man. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power all nations and peoples of every language worshiped him. Joel 2, 28, 30, and 32. I will pour out my spirit on all people and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Zechariah 9, 10. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Malachi 1, 11, My name will be great among the nations from where the sun rises to where it sets. And that is just the Old Testament. God's determination to bless, heal, be known, receive worship, and make a people for himself is the unwavering, unapologetic, unchanging testimony of all of scripture. And it finds its culmination and realization in Revelation 22, when the nations dwell with the God who brings them healing. Dear friends, this is the story that God is telling in the world. And my question for you tonight is what story are you living in? What is the story that I am living in? If it is true that God is determined that people from every tongue, every tribe, every nation, every people know him and give him worship, is the story of my life telling that story too? I didn't finish my story earlier when I spoke about that day on the bus and the guy with the crutches. 
As the bus stopped at Gooch Dillard, um, I stood up to follow him off the bus. And my heart was pounding. My hands were shaking. He was maybe five yards in front of me, um, walking with a friend. And I knew I needed to call out to him. I needed to ask him to stop. I needed to say, hey, can I pray for you? (laughs) But as I thought of that, fear filled me. What is he going to think of me? What is his friend going to think of me? How ridiculous am I about to look? What if it doesn't work? And my feet stopped moving. I stopped following him. And he was starting to get farther ahead. And I just couldn't do it. So I turned around and I walked away. And as I was walking away, I looked back and I saw him get to some steps that he was climbing. And I'll never forget, he was greeting somebody who was walking towards him. And that guy was on crutches too. As I saw that, my heart sunk because the Lord spoke to me in that moment. He said, there were two people who needed a touch today. Disappointed and confused and saddened. I didn't know what to do. So I kept walking to O'Hill. Now, I am a UVA person. I mean that in the sense of I went here, but also in the sense of I know what it's like to be here. And it might be bold to say this, but I believe that as UVA people, our greatest temptation is to believe that we are living in our own story. A story where we are the main character. We are the hero. We are the protagonist. The story of my life is about my triumphs, my self-image, my comfort, my ambition. That's certainly what I believe to be true on that day at Gooch Dillard. What will he think of me, Jesus? What will he think of me? How is this going to affect the story I'm telling about my life, Jesus? Our greatest temptation is to buy into the lie. The story that we are living in is ultimately about ourselves. I believe the lie, and both that guy on the bus, his friend, and me, all of us missed an opportunity to know Jesus that day. What the book of Revelation reveals is that at the center of all reality is a God. The lamb who was slain, who is seated on the throne, robed in majesty, worthy of praise. And this God is telling a story in the world that is both far longer and far lovelier than any story I could tell about myself. It is a story where he is the protagonist. He is the hero. He is the driver of the plot because it is a story about him and his great love for the nations of the earth. I live and serve in Granada, Spain, And I don't know what comes to mind when you think about Spain or Europe. Maybe you think of it as a vacation spot. But the reality is that best estimates say that 99% of Spanish people don't know Jesus. 99% of people. Which means that 1% of people in Spain do. And I was sitting one day over coffee with a friend who's become very dear to me over my time in Granada. And when I first met him, he was incredibly distrustful of any idiot who would believe in God. And so it took some time, but we've developed a very dear friendship over the years. And we were getting coffee last fall and I was sitting with him. And somehow at some point in the conversation, I said to him, you know, I said, when, when Jesus came to do in the world was to bring life. That's all I said. That was it. And he put his cup down and he looked me straight in the eyes. He said, Jesus said, what? This friend of mine, had lived his entire life 
And he had never met someone who knew someone who could tell him that Jesus came to bring life. Another dear friend of ours was, was baptized last year, and her story is rather long. And um, several years ago, as she was starting to come to faith, she looked our team leader, Sean and Deb Gallion, in the eyes, and she said, why has no one told me this before? And the question is legitimate. 1% of Spanish people know Jesus. Who possibly could tell her? And the reality is it's not just in Spain. 0.7% of Czechs, 0.04% of Libyans, 0.27% of Thai, 1.2% of Omanis, 0.5% of Sudanese, 1% of French. The picture we get in Revelation chapter 7 of the throne room of God is an image of people from every tongue, every nation, every tribe, every people that are worshiping the lamb who is worthy. But the reality of our world is that there are some people, some nations, some tongues, some tribes who are underrepresented in the throne room or not represented at all. And the story that God is telling in the world is driven by God's longing that people from all the nations of the world might be represented in the throne room and receive healing at the tree of life. My question for us tonight, Chi Alpha, is what story are we living in? Have we seen the same Jesus who loved us enough to shed blood for us, who has lived for us, who has risen for us, who reigns for us, his heart beats for the nations of the world. And that reality must call us out of our own stories that we are telling about our lives and must be inserted into the story of the lamb who was slain. Please don't misunderstand me. I do not believe that every Christian is called to be a missionary. That cannot be justified biblically or logically. But I do believe that every Christian, if we are to truly follow Jesus, eventually we must find our place in the story that Jesus is telling in the world. The story of his determination to be known and glorified among the nations of the earth that they may find healing in him. We are invited by Jesus, by our Jesus to a new story, to a story that he is telling in the world. And he invites us to make our story submit to his. Can you imagine what would happen if we took him up on the offer? I have um, three hopes and prayers for us tonight that I want to share with you. And then um, we will close. It is my prayer first that tonight God would call some of you to go and live and serve and perhaps die among the least reach of our world. It is my prayer that someone watching this tonight or someone here tonight would sense the gentle voice of Jesus speaking to them about his heart for the nations. And you would say to him, I will listen, Lord. My prayer is that you will trust Jesus enough to listen And begin to process what giving your life for the nations would mean. Because for some of you, that will be the way that Jesus unfolds your story. Secondly, it's also my prayer, my hope tonight, that God would raise up people who are so captivated, so in love with the heart of Jesus for the nations of the world, that their lives would be given over to his story, even as they stay in America. 
perhaps you are not called to go, and that is good. But if the Lord does not call you to go, who are you sending in your place? Which of your brothers and sisters will you pray for? Will you give to so that they may go? It is no less holy a calling. It is no less obedient, no less important to stay in America and be light here. But if you will not go, how are you allowing your story to submit to the Lord's story that he is telling in the world about his heart for the nations? And thirdly, it is my prayer that tonight God would continue to raise up this fellowship, Chi Alpha at UVA, to participate in the story that God is telling at UVA. It is my prayer that this fellowship will be marked by a commitment to the least reached on these grounds, a commitment to seek out the hurting, the isolated, the inconvenient, the least likely to hear the gospel, because in the same way that Jesus has sought after us, so he seeks after those who do not know him on these grounds. So the question for us tonight is, will we seek them too? The story that Jesus is telling in the world is a story of the healing of the nations. What is your story telling? What is Jesus asking you to do to participate in his story? We're going to take some time and respond in worship. My heart tonight is simply this. I want us to see that Jesus is active in our world and has been for a long time. (laughs) My desire is not to manipulate or to use the pulpit in a way um, that is unfair. I just want us to see Jesus tonight. And the story that he's telling in the world is about the nations of the world finding healing. And he invites us, all of us, no matter where we live, to participate in that story. So what I want us to do tonight is I want us to, as we respond in a song of worship, I just want us to say, Jesus, I don't know exactly, or I do know what it is you are saying to me in this, but whatever it is, I want my story to submit to yours because you are king and you are Lord. Is that fair? Can we do that tonight? So we're going to do that. We'll take some time and respond in worship. And as we're worshiping, let's have that in mind. Jesus, how can my story submit to yours? Thank you for listening to the Chi Alpha at the University of Virginia podcast. For more information, you can visit our website, xaatuva.com.